Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This podcast inspires physiotherapists and other health professionals to continue learning and growing in their practice and throughout their career. We explore professional issues with a fresh lens and look inward, delving into topics that help to expand our capacity for growth. This is episode number 48, and I'm Andrew. And I'm Maxie. All right, so today we're going to be talking about the emerging area of health coaching for physiotherapists. And today's guest is Cindy Grant. She's a physiotherapist who's worked as a clinician for 17 years in sports and orthopedics before moving into the field of bariatrics and is now working in large-scale health system change. Cindy, welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, so Cindy, before we dive into health coaching, we'd love it if you could just give us just a bit of your background, a bit of your journey, and sort of what pulled you to health coaching, how you got into health coaching. Sure. So I'll start with where I'm at right now. I work for Alberta Health Services, and I'm an implementation lead for the Walter McKenzie Campus Connect Care team. So I support Allied Health at the site here, as well as a few other portfolios in their implementation of Connect Care, which is the new clinical information system that's launching in wave one on November 3rd. As you can probably imagine, Connect Care is quite a massive project and it involves a lot of change. So practice change, process change, behavior change as we move through that implementation process to launch. And so I use coaching techniques almost daily in my practice, as it were, to help coach people through change and to support managers who were coaching their people through change. But where I first became interested in health coaching was when I was working on the provincial bariatric resource team. My role on the provincial bariatric resource team was to support teams and clinicians across the province working with patients with bariatric care needs. And the topic of weight management was and still is, of course, a very hot topic. Working with patients to manage their weight and actually even talking to patients about weight does require strong coaching skills. And I was given the opportunity to take health change methodology which is a methodology for health behavior change. So it's very much a coaching methodology. It was developed in Australia, and it was one of those pivotal trainings for me. You know, as a professional, you take lots of different courses when you're looking at your professional growth, and oftentimes you think, okay, I can take that bit or I'll incorporate that into my practice. This was one where I just thought, yes. And I wished so hard that I had had that training so much earlier in my physiotherapy career because I could see how that approach and that technique, pieces of it or all of it could have been applied with every single patient that I saw. It was really a mind-expanding experience, I guess. Wow. I mean, so yeah, like I don't even know where to go from there because I want to know more like just what about it? What about it was like that aha? Because as physical therapists... I think we think we're coaches or I think we think we coach people, but what about this was different than what you had been taught already? So I'm going to tell you about one of the experiences. So in the health change methodology training, they actually show videos of a typical patient provider encounter and you watch the video and you think, oh yeah, that's pretty good. Like I see myself in that. And then they show another video of what it looks like using the methodology and the coaching techniques. And I just thought, oh man. I do that. I do the first one. That's the what not to do. <laughs> You're like, shoot. Right? And it's not that the what not to do was bad. It wasn't bad at all. And in fact, the one thing that jumped out at me, because I'm a person who likes to jump in and help. And I think typically physiotherapists are people that like to jump in and help. And so the particular technique that stood out in my mind was the therapist kept interrupting the patient to help. And so the patient didn't get their full thought out before the 
therapist was jumping in to expound their knowledge on the topic. And that's where I saw myself. I was like, oh yeah, I do that. That's so helpful. And then when I saw what happened when you actually let the patient get their full thought out before you expound your own knowledge as the expert, how that really changed the interaction and really changed it in a very impactful way. That's interesting. Hey, to see sort of how that dichotomy, that difference between the two, just sort of back to back, I mean, really probably puts it in a new light in terms of, okay, this is a completely different way of looking at it. So yeah, let's maybe sort of back up a little bit, you know, for our listeners, like what is health coaching for physiotherapists? I'm going to just talk about what coaching is, because I think health coaching for physiotherapists is important, but health coaching is also health coaching and you can use it in lots of areas of your life. I was saying earlier to Maxie that I use it with my kids all the time and I use it with my husband. Don't tell him though, (laughs) because the techniques can be so effective. (laughs) So I'm going to pull this definition actually from cognitive coaching. Coaching is an effective way to support a person in becoming self-directed. So let's think about that for a minute. Our goals as physiotherapists are often around supporting our patients to be as independent as they can be. This requires that they are self-directed, not physiotherapist-directed. And that represents a significant shift from the old expert-driven model of healthcare to a more patient-centered model. And so Coaching refers to the way we approach a conversation with patients when the goal is for them to become self-directed. It's approached in a much more collaborative way that really respects and meets the patient where they are in a non-judgmental, neutral way and to explore what they know before imparting our expert knowledge and where they're at in terms of readiness to talk about a certain topic or to change something. And that change could be as small as implementing a prescribed exercise or as life-changing as a lifestyle change. Wow. I feel like there's so many keywords in that definition. (laughs) (laughs) One of the ones that really stood out to me is this readiness to change. I think that that's something that we always are assuming that patients are ready to change. (laughs) Or we try and push them to be ready to change. Or we blame them (laughs) for not being ready to change. So that's interesting because I think that that may be different in some ways than sort of our standard thinking of goal setting is bringing in that whole readiness component. So that was just something that stood out to me Mm -hmm. from what you read there. Well, and I think physiotherapists naturally, I'm going to do a gross generalization here. I think physiotherapists are naturally quite goal-driven people. But I think where we can sometimes err is assuming that somebody is ready to set a goal. And so that piece of really meeting patients where they're at, and particularly in health change methodology, there's a lot of steps that happen before the goal setting to make sure that that patient is ready for that piece. And every health coaching framework or training that I've taken includes a section on goal setting and doing that in a collaborative way. But it's really important when that happens. And really important if a patient is not ready for goal setting, then what? Then we don't just kind of brush our hands of it and say, well, they're not ready, so I can't do anything here. There are other things that you can coach them through in order to help them be in a place where they're ready to receive goal setting. Right. So, I mean, two questions come to mind. The first one is, and you may not, this hasn't been maybe been empirically studied and you have no evidence, quote unquote evidence of this, but your experience of it is evidence as well. We need to get to the goals, right? As physical therapists, we need to set those goals. Maybe at the end of the assessment, our first session, we need to get those goals set. And within certain structures, right? Within insurance structures, WCB, those sorts of things in reporting that may be important somehow, like that may be important for the therapist to be able to do. 
However, I'm wondering, like when we're talking about the speed or the pace or how we get to somebody being ready to set a goal, do you think that by not pushing to get to the goal, you actually get there, not just in a better quality way, but also get there in a more efficient way? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's right yes or no <laughs> next question no, just kidding. <laughs> I actually do because what you described is an insurance driven system or a outcome measure driven system but if we're really truly looking at a patient driven system and a patient is not ready to set a goal then imagine what that conversation feels like from the patient perspective it can feel very high pressure so I'm not ready to make this goal but now I have this goal that I wasn't ready to make. So I'm probably not going to succeed. And if you're not succeeding, that equals failure. So now I'm not set up for success in that scenario necessarily. And then there's all kinds of sequela to that piece of it. Whereas I find if you take that pressure off and really try to meet people where they're at, you have a much more open conversation. And when you get to that goal setting, you're already sort of armed with the things that are important to the patient that will make this goal much more meaningful to them. So the approach actually helps you as a therapist listen. Like it's funny because we talk about structures for patients, but it's really a structure for us to get out of our own way and get out of the patient's way so that the patient can, you can have those conversations that are meaningful and that they bring things up that are important to them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that it doesn't have to sidetrack a conversation or a history taking, right? I think there's the worry about that too, that, mm-hmm. well, you know, a patient's going to like, if I give them too much time, well, we'll never finish, mm-hmm. right? What is your experience with that, right? What is your experience with when you allow patients that time? So I think allowing patients that time is really important, particularly when you're establishing rapport. And so with any kind of coaching conversation, with any kind of therapeutic relationship, establishing rapport is key. And in order to have a meaningful conversation, you have to build that trust and that can take some time. But there's particularly through cognitive coaching, for example, we spend a lot of time on how to expertly craft a question. And so the way that you ask a question will oftentimes draw out the answer or the general direction of where you want to go while still giving the patient a lot of freedom to answer in the way and to find out where they're really at. So I think what uh, is interesting too is this idea in your definition of that non-judgment, right? And I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit in terms of what your experience has been with that. Because I think that that's a really interesting concept. And I think that obviously is something that we've talked about you know, in terms of therapeutic alliance and all that. That was another word that jumped out to me in that definition. So Michael Vallis is a psychologist out of Halifax, and he always talks about this concept of non-judgmental curiosity. And I love that because that's really how I think people in general should be approached. (laughs) I find that There was another quote, and I've lost who the person was, but I just want to, this isn't my own idea, but I think it was even a tweet on Twitter that I read that stuck in my mind. That was about, if you don't understand the behavior of another person, you're missing something about their context. And so rather than jumping to judge, which is a very human thing to do, really trying to understand the context of why somebody is behaving in a certain way is really key or not behaving in a certain way is really key. 
Yeah. I mean, to your point, some of the training that I've had, it has included like a systems approach to thinking about how people interact within the contest or family systems or social systems, right? So if we're always playing roles and so if behaviors aren't changing or it's likely because they're fulfilling some sort of role, right? And so understanding somehow, exactly. It's serving them somehow. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how do you gently be able to open up a space or create a space where people feel safe enough that they can start to talk about things that maybe help them become aware about what their own limitations are in terms of changing that behavior or what's stopping them from doing that. For sure. And, you know, I think back to when I first started practicing right out of school and I was sort of in a sports orthopedics track and when a patient would come in and I was treating them for an ankle, I looked at their ankle and then you start to realize, oh, hold on, the ankle is attached to a whole kinetic chain here and the kinetic chain is actually in a person and the person has a whole context of family and social and it just kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger and then I wound up in a public health master's looking at socioeconomic <laughs> effects and now I'm in large-scale health system change. So, so that's a little bit of what's the next step in this here. But what's been really interesting is coaching techniques can be used at every single step along the way. And they can be used in this one-on-one interaction, but increasingly I also use them in group facilitation. And so it's a really versatile technique and framework to work out of. Why do you feel this is an important area to explore for physiotherapists? So for physiotherapists in particular, we know that we live in a changing world. Our demographics are changing. And so as our general population reflects an increased prevalence of chronic diseases, including obesity, physiotherapists are seeing patients across all care areas who present with one or more chronic diseases as either as the primary issue that they're seeing physiotherapists for, or in addition to what they're seeing a physiotherapist for, depending on your practice area. And whether or not it's the primary issue, physiotherapists are increasingly getting questions about chronic diseases and how to support some of the lifestyle or behavior changes associated with managing and living well with chronic disease. I think that's where health coaching is being most applied, but I really think even, you know, when I think back to my days of trying to convince people that they had to do this exercise three times a day, if I had taken a little bit of a different approach in that, it really can be used in all different kind of care areas. I think you bring up a very interesting point about just demographics, like, you know, the global burden of chronic disease and um, musculoskeletal conditions is growing, right? We're having aging populations compounded by an aging population. So as physical therapists, and also you bring in the idea that we've been trying to implement patient-centered care, right? For how long now? How long is that term being used? Has been used and are we doing it? Well, it's almost lost its meaning. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those words that is just so common. It's a catchphrase. It's a catchphrase catchphrase or or a tagline. Yeah. And this gives you a way to actually, it gives you a how. So it gives you a way to actually operationalize patient-centered care. How do I actually do that? And health coaching approaches are a way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, we're going to have a coaching session now, but there are some tools and techniques that you can just incorporate into your practice. I think physiotherapists are in a great position to coach patients, like either incorporating it into the daily practice that you already do or in the area of health behavior or lifestyle change, because we are experts in building strong therapeutic relationships. And I believe the basis of that is trust and rapport and having good rapport is key to coaching. And often we have more time with patients than other healthcare professionals and coaching does take a little bit more time. And we have the knowledge base to coach patients in the areas of lifestyle and health behavior change. I don't know, Maxie, if you have anything to add to that therapy 
therapeutic relationship piece. I see health coaching, there are a lot of overlaps. Like first of all, health coaching isn't a specific kind of approach. So it brings certain principles to it for sure. And that like everything that you've said, it is about developing a therapeutic relationship. So it's an approach that helps you enter into an interaction, a clinical interaction. But we were talking earlier, we're actually entering into the into a human interaction and that human interaction becomes a clinical interaction and that developing any way that I think, I know I have certain structures and principles that I follow to help me ground myself when I was working with patients to develop a therapeutic relationship and health coaching certainly is a way to do that as well. It's a particular approach to doing it. So in one of my trainings, somebody said to me, you know, coaching is a really important technique, but it's also just a genuinely really nice way to be with people. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) Which is important. (laughs) But I think that's helpful though, because I think a lot of times too, when you're in that clinical interaction and you've been seeing patient after patient, that sometimes can be hard to sort of really be present and to really be in that genuine place because it's so easy to shift into that. Okay. I just have to see this next patient. Cause I got to see this next patient and I'm running behind five minutes and doing yeah. this. Right. And so I think, so that's good if we have a way to say, okay, how do I sort of come back into that place? Yeah. And I mean, if I'm plugging my own work, right. I mean, go for it. Things that you have said, I'm going, yeah, like I'm thinking of, yeah, that's being present. That's being receptive. I would imagine that also taking this approach, maybe it also allows a therapist to be more themselves as well, you know, to be a baby, a bit more genuine and allows or creates that space. I don't know if that has been your experience at all, but, and that's a pretty big leap to take. But I think that the way you've spoken about acknowledging individuals, right. But also really the body is a central piece of that still like, and and people's goals and their physical goals as well, Mm -hmm. as they come out from them, right in a collaborative approach and we're talking about alliance that's what we're talking about ultimately agreement on goals agreement on tasks and a bond and that positive affective relationship right and so this approach is about really accentuating the collaborative and really working towards the patient really pulling that out so it's kind of it's humanistic in that you know the idea that people want to move towards healing genuinely, whether they know it or not. And so it's about helping them open up to those possibilities within their contexts. For sure. And I think you're right. I think when you've been practicing for a while, it does allow you to be a little bit more who you are. But I think initially one of the struggles for me was putting myself aside. And so that feeds into a little bit of that non-judgmental piece that we talked about. But it also, I remember one of my coaching coaches, when I would ask a question, he would say, who are you asking that question for? Because you just asked a curiosity question (laughs) and it's your own curiosity that made you ask that question, but it's not going to give you information about your patient or your coachee or where they're at. So thinking about who I was asking that question for, and I'm a very curious, naturally interested in people person. And so to put aside those curiosity questions and get to the coaching questions was something that I had to do a lot of practice and I still will catch myself doing for sure. And that was driven more out of just your own curiosity, just innate curiosity. It wasn't even necessarily trying to drive back to an expert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which I think it's interesting that you you bring that up because I think what it highlights is that sometimes we need someone else to be able to speak into how we interact with our patients. Do you know what I mean? Like 
how often do we actually have someone observe how we interact with a patient? And that is a perfect example of where you didn't even realize that yeah. what was going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about this issue of behavior change and why is it important that we look at addressing these health behaviors and, you know, smoking, physical inactivity, all that stuff. Well, again, I think these are questions that as physiotherapists, we're getting more often, partly because we are a trusted health professional. So if we've done a good job of building that rapport and we've created a safe space for patients to bring up those types of issues, and we know that with the changing demographics, these issues are coming up quite a lot. Those questions are presenting themselves to us as physiotherapists. And so for us to have a technique or a way to be able to address that is really important. I don't know if I answered your question properly. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I mean, because I think sometimes we think, oh, well, that's not really, we don't really need to deal with that, you know, but I think it's something that, as you said, is coming up more and more. Well, and I think that also if a patient's opening up to you about different health behaviors or you're noticing those things, even if you don't feel that you can provide that kind of expertise or dive into that, then you can be collaborating with other healthcare providers to do that. That's one piece of it. But I think there is a larger piece that we need to consider as a profession about really who's coming, who's stepping into our clinic and what are they bringing with them and the potential for us to be able to provide the best care that we can for people, I think is there, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is one approach that certainly can help us do that, at mm -hmm. least uncover some things and guide people if necessary, right? Yeah, I think so too. I think a lot of the comments I would hear would be more to the, I know I should be doing this. And so I think patients carry a lot of guilt with that. And that might be partly just from working in a sports orthopedic environment that people felt they were coming to that environment that they should be more sporty or they should be doing more exercise or they should be doing whatever, right? And so a lot of myth dispelling, I think, happens there. But then that can move into sort of those coaching conversations of, you know, with everything you have going on in your life right now is now the right time for that. Hey, I just wanted to have a quick pause to introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, Soul. They're off-the-shelf moldable insoles, and it's the brand of insoles that I recommend to my patients and have for years. The reason I recommend them is that they're heat moldable by the patient, they've got a great arch support, and they come with options to help with different foot issues. It's really easy for customers to order, and when you refer them to Soul, they get free shipping and 10% off. Make sure to check them out at yoursoul.com forward slash health dash professionals. That's Y O U R S O L E dot com forward slash health dash professionals. All right, back to the show. Because maybe it's just not. Yeah, and that mm -hmm. is a very compassionate response, right? Versus saying there is something wrong. We need to make it right. And just to be able to recognize that there's a time in a season, right. For changes to take place. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and sometimes putting extra stress on people to change something when they don't have the context, they don't have the safety to be able to do that within their social context and their family context. That is incredibly stressful. I almost feel looking at some of my patients that I'm seeing right now. I think I sometimes actually make that decision for them. I'm like, Oh, you're not ready to take this on. <laughs> So I'm not even going to bring it up, but I'm going to make that decision for you rather than actually asking them, is this something that you can take on? Right. And it's funny, like how we just do that. At least I do that almost instinctively where you're like, okay, well that, you know, I'm almost robbing the patient of that opportunity to say, okay, do you feel like you can actually do 
some physical activity? Like, are you ready for that? And what about that is important to you or not important to you? And, you know, when you start to look at some of the tools and frameworks and you start to look at decisional balance and, okay, so if you kept on doing what you're doing now, what would be the positive consequences? What is it that you're doing now that's serving you? And if you kept on doing what you're doing now, what might be some of the negative consequences? And if you changed that behavior, say you increase your physical activity, what might be some of the positive consequences of that? But what might be some of the negative consequences of that? And that's the quadrant I think that we don't always delve into as physiotherapists because often we don't see any negative consequences of increasing. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) But potentially there are things like fear of falling. Potentially there are things of I don't have a safe place to do that. Potentially there are other things around that quadrant that we're missing if we're not using a tool like that. Well, I think what's easy too is to often be the one to, as a therapist, to talk about the benefits of doing something without letting the patient talk about the benefits of doing something, right? Because then we're just, again, putting that on the patient as opposed to letting them actually internalize what's the positive of that, right? For sure. And that will change the language, right? So it will change the language from it will increase your cardiovascular ability to I understand what's really important to you is that you're able to walk to the park with your grandchildren that's a block away. And so you can see how those goals will be, the language you'll use will be very, very different with that different approach. Which comes back to what you were saying earlier. We just need to ask better questions. <laughs> if we want better answers, we need be- to ask better questions. Yeah. And genuinely, like genuinely with that curiosity, like if we're entering into our relationships with patients from a real curious perspective, I want to understand you, right? I want to, I really want to understand what's happening in your world and what's important to you. That's a hard space to hold, right? Like you've talked about that, Cindy, and I know I've got my own baggage that I bring in as a caretaker and you know what I mean. Probably that's illustrated more with my family. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, you know, I think that that principle of curiosity, right? And that genuine curiosity, not just to want to help, but to want to understand, Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what have you found, you know, effective for yourself, Cindy, in terms of maintaining that curiosity when maybe you're in those interactions where you're struggling to do that? Like, is there anything that you found helpful? I really do fall back on that quote of if there's something here that I'm not understanding or something here that doesn't jive with my perception of the world or the person or the situation, it's because there's something about their context that I don't understand. And so then I try to seek that understanding so that we can come to a place where we have, if not mutual agreement, because that's not always going to happen, at least a mutual understanding of where things are at. Using that as the sort of the anchoring principle, really. Yeah. That piece is the understanding and that non-judgmental curiosity. And I mean, judging is a very human thing to do and we do it and we're going to do it. And those judgments will enter our minds. And part of it is recognizing when those judgy thoughts do pop into your head, that that's what it is and dismissing it. Right. So, and a lot of that is just being aware of your own biases and really examining those so that those extrinsic biases are socially constructed and you can't necessarily, even once you're aware of them, eliminate them altogether, but you can recognize when a judgmental thought has entered your brain and then let it go. Those are some of the personal growth pieces. Right. And I was going to say, like, it sounds like also this training, we talk about reflective practice, being reflective is a competency, right? (laughs) One of those competencies, (laughs) like anamorphous, right? Like, what does that mean? How do we do it? What am I learning? You know? And so it sounds like this approach and going through the training 
has really helped you reflect on yourself and the way you help construct that interaction and what happens within that interaction, how you influence it positively and not so positively. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, I think we've got a good handle on what health coaching is, why we want to look at it, but let's now dive in a little bit more in depth. We've talked about some tools and frameworks for health coaching. And I'm wondering, Cindy, if you can share with listeners some of the things that people can start looking at with regards to some of those tools and frameworks. Yeah. So one of the great things about health coaching is there are lots of ways to approach and practice it and make it a part of the way that you practice. So there are tools or specific techniques that you can practice as well as whole frameworks or methodologies that help practitioners to understand when or what sequence to use what tool or strategy, depending on what type of coaching conversation that you're having. So a couple of examples of the training that I've taken. So health change methodology is a methodology out of Australia that's specific to health behavior change. And it includes elements of trans theoretical model of change, some motivational interview techniques, but it really puts it into a how-to practical way of the way you say something matters and when you say it matters. And so it's really a methodology that can walk you through the beginning of a conversation to whichever direction that conversation is going to go. But there are different tools and tricks and techniques out of that that you can practice on their own as well. Cognitive coaching comes out of education, but it's highly applicable to healthcare. And in this training, coaching conversations are differentiated into planning conversations, problem-solving conversations, and reflective conversations. But of course, you can have any combination of all of those, but different sort of ways to walk through end-to-end conversations. And again, when to use what technique. But again, all of those different pieces of tools and techniques can be used on their own in other applications as well. So I guess there's a few different ways to approach it. You can learn the tools and techniques, or you can learn an entire framework or methodology that walks you through sort of the end-to-end piece. Some of the tools I use every day are simple ones like pause and paraphrase, which I thought I was really good at until I had somebody write down my paraphrases. (laughs) and and then give them back to me. And I noticed that every single sentence started with, so every single, so, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, there's some, some learning happening there. Um, The other one I use a lot is wait till eight, which comes from health change methodologies. So when you ask a question and you're waiting for a response, waiting for a full eight seconds, eight seconds. Which, <laughs> yeah. That's a painful, long time. <laughs> it seems like a really long time, but I'm going to tell you what happens because the magic happens almost invariably at 7.5 seconds. Really interesting. Huh. Because the other person has become so uncomfortable with the silence that they have to say something. And so oftentimes it's that something that they say at that moment that can be a very golden nugget of information. And I do a lot of online meetings now, and so I think people just think my audio is not working. It's just still there. What's happening? And sometimes I will say I'm health change methodology trained, so I'm going to wait a full eight seconds. And then I will wait the eight seconds and it will still seem painfully long. But it's something that I really try to practice every day. Yeah. So those are some of the little tools and tips and frameworks that I'm aware of. And so our perception of time, when you think, oh, well, we don't have time to, it's like eight, when eight seconds feels like 
much longer than that, I think our perception of time may not be so accurate, you know? So I think that's part of it too, is this discomfort with silence. Treating patients, I always feel like someone's got to be talking because if someone's not talking, there's, you know, like whether that's me telling a joke or a story or whether that's during the assessment, you're, you know, a history, you're like, okay, you've shared. Okay. Now I'm going to ask the next question. Like there's sort of that small amount of quiet in that, right? That it's going to be a challenge. It is. But if you think about those people who need time to process, right? And need time to really think about what it is that you've said to them or the conversation that they're having with you, that eight seconds probably seems too short for them. And so it really, yeah, it's a really interesting space. So try it at home and see how that goes for you. I know this is a complete <laughs> rabbit hole. So forgive me before I jump into this. But what this brings up for me is the issue of body language as we are interacting with our patients as we're engaging in these conversations you know for example you're waiting eight seconds or you're asking those questions in terms of what are the benefits or what are the negatives of this positive change what are you looking for <laughs> like what are you picking up in terms of body language because i think that that's something that i mean we're always sort of we're talking about the verbal communication right with the patient but i'm just interested to know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. In terms of that nonverbal, and I'm just wondering, like, do these health coaching methodologies and frameworks talk about that level of interaction? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so much a part of building rapport for one. And it's so much a part of, again, Dr. Michael Ballas talks about when is a yes really a yes? And when is a yes really a no in yes clothing? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And so really kind of paying attention to those nonverbal body cues and then sometimes just asking a question in a different way or reframing it in a different way might get you to actually your yes might be a no and that's okay. But some of it too is then examining why the person feels like they need to give you a yes disguised or they need to give you a yes when really it's a no that they need to disguise it as a yes for you. Like what is it about that space or that interaction or that rapport that you've created that makes them feel like they need to perform or give you the answer that you're expecting to hear, I guess. Well, I'm sure that it's also a way to take note of or identify resistance. Yeah. They may not even necessarily be aware of as well, right? Potentially or not. My reaction is just to the word resistance because resistance to me has a very negative connotation and resistance has a more of a negative connotation. And what you might be picking up on is a true concern or what you might be picking up on is a true something that's going on that you don't know, but you've labeled it as resistance. And that's probably because it's resistant to the way that you think the interaction should be going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it's interesting because I, I, maybe it shouldn't yeah. go that way. <laughs> and I think that language, I just use that because I think it's from what I've read in motivational interview and they talk about rolling with resistance and this type of thing. Right. And so that sort of ambivalence to change and, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I mean, language obviously is hugely powerful mm-hmm. when we are looking at that. Right. So yeah, it's true. Is that really the right word to use when we are seeing maybe an incongruency there? or somebody is quote unquote resisting or not, but why? Like, what about it? What about that? You know, is the case if you hold on to the principle that people naturally want to move towards healing something better, right? So, you know, so if they're not, like, what about that? And, you know, I just want to go back to the wait for eight, because I think it's people who maybe, you know, need that time to process Mm -hmm. the more internal processors. I'm not one of those. I'm a talker processor. 
Um, I do. <laughs> if you have a guess, we can do a podcast because <laughs> we talk out loud. Yeah, and we think out loud. But I think when people are vulnerable, when people are afraid, when they have something going on with their bodies that just they've never experienced before, we give information, and they don't have time to ask a question. They don't have time to think of a question mm. because we've moved on to the next thing so quickly. And I know I'm experiencing, I've experienced that just with being with my family members when they're having to go to appointments with parents and things like that. And when people are afraid, you need to give them that space to consider. You need to give them that space to even ask a question because they might be afraid. Like you're saying at 7.5, the question comes right? Mm. You know, when it wouldn't have come before, you know, and I think that that's important for us to keep in mind as well, that people are coming to us in different places in terms of their vulnerability mm-hmm. and that waiting, that space that you're holding creates that safety for them to even be vulnerable. For sure. It's a question that I don't remember ever asking as a clinician before coaching is tell me what you understand about your condition or tell me what you understand about your injury or tell me what you understand about what's happening to your body. And it's a very important question because we often start to impart that information without understanding what they already know. And they may be more knowledgeable on the topic than we are. They may have no knowledge or they may have incorrect knowledge, but you don't know which way to go until you've asked the question and understood what they understand or where they're coming from. Yeah. I found myself, you know, during the assessments asking, well, have you had physiotherapy before? We just assume that they haven't or that they have a blank slate in terms of their experience. (laughs) And in reality, they may have had a really negative experience with something and we were just going in blind because we haven't taken that moment to just ask them what their experience has been. So yeah, that's a fantastic question because I think that... It's such a great place to start from then in terms of where to go from there. So yeah, that's awesome. So speaking of discomfort, potential resistance, <laughs> that word, <laughs> you know, why do you think PTs may feel uncomfortable with this concept of health coaching? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think anytime you're learning something new and I say learning something new at my age often requires unlearning something either in the way I've thought about it. So my own mental model or in my behavior, like the wait until eight example. And so it really does change your mental model, which is a bit of a brain exercise. And then you go from feeling like somebody who's quite proficient in what you do to having that beginner mindset and that beginner experience and stumbling over your words and starting every sentence with so (laughs) (laughs) as you're trying to think of the paraphrase in your head before you spit it out of your mouth, right? So you're using it as a good tool. So So those kind of things can be uncomfortable anytime you're in that beginner space, particularly if you haven't been in that beginner space in a while. And I have had kind of coaching conversations where I've said, I need a do-over on that question. (laughs) Let me just ask that in another way. So I think really being kind to yourself when you're learning something new or trying something new and recognizing that it's going to be awkward the first hundred times that you wait the full eight seconds and being okay with some of that awkwardness. And then just taking some the time to train and learn and time to practice. And practice can be just one tool or technique at a time, or practice can be, I'm going into this conversation and I've planned out what steps I'm going to follow and what I'm going to ask when, but giving yourself the freedom that if the conversation goes in another direction, your plan might be out the window and you'll have to rely on those tools and techniques. So you could do a health coaching session with yourself in terms of what am I ready for? 
What change am I ready for? How much change am I ready for? What parts of my contacts are going to allow me to do this? You know what I mean? What are the positives, negatives? Absolutely. And I do actually in the cognitive coaching, one of the planning conversations I often will have with myself as I'm planning out something, if it's an all day facilitation or something like that, then I do walk myself through the coaching steps just to kind of firm my thinking around what it is that I'm going into and what I'm planning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Some coaching. That's right. (laughs) Some personal coaching. Well, that's great. And I think something that you mentioned that I think sounds like it's been an important part of your journey has been this idea of getting that mentorship and feedback on your own coaching style and all that. So could you share how that's changed your coaching approach? Yeah, for sure. I think oftentimes for me, when I would go to a course and learn something new, then I would be practicing gangbusters for the first two weeks after the course. And then I would revert back to my old habits and my old practice. And then I would lose, I would still pull on some of the tools and techniques, but I wouldn't necessarily be practicing it in, in as fulsome way um, as when I would come out of the course of the learning. And I think that's a normal human state as well. But having some coaching calls or practicing even on myself or with my family or those kind of pieces has helped me. And I'm still, I would say in the very beginner stages, I would like the coaching to be a very natural part of the way that I approach humans all of the time. It's not yet. That would be my ultimate goal. But I think having that structured practice time will help it eventually become a more natural piece. Yeah, I totally resonate in terms of what you're saying around taking a course or doing something, diving into it, being gung-ho for two weeks. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, I have completely reverted back to the way I was. (laughs) Aside from maybe one little uh, change. And so I'm a big believer in that too, in terms of we need that ongoing accountability and input so that we can start to create new neural pathways, new behavior change within ourselves, not just in terms of our patients. For sure. And you move through those stages, right? Of becoming kind of unconsciously incompetent to consciously competent. And, you know, you're walking through all of those stages as you're learning. And so I think when you're in that trying to be consciously competent, it's important to be a little bit more structured around what you're practicing before you can kind of evolve into that unconscious competent phase. I mean, you know, with other sorts of courses that we take and skills that we learn, whether they mount you with like specific treatment techniques, there's a lot of people taking them. And so, you know, there may be other people in your clinic that you can bounce things off of, right? Health coaching or more psychologically driven approaches don't necessarily have that immediate kind of social network, you know, but I think that that can be a level maybe that we can get to in terms of, of our own profession and going, actually, let's develop some social networks around how we engage with patients like blint groups, right? Mm -hmm. In medicine, that's, it's not a new concept, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I would like to see that sort of support come through because we learn from one another. We learn in relationship Mm -hmm. and we learn over time. So we learn through situations, social interaction, and over time. And so to have that engagement, I think is important, but your self-engagement, right? That reflective, we can go to reflective practice theory, like Sean's theory of reflection in action, reflection on action, but also that engagement with others Mm -hmm. because it presents some accountability, but you also learn as you're in relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that this is a good segue in terms of a toolkit that has been developed by Physiotherapy Alberta. So Cindy, do you want to maybe share, because I know both of you actually were involved in that, right? 
So there is a toolkit coming out for health coaching for physiotherapists. And so it really talks a lot about some of the things that we talked about today. So some definitions of health coaching and why it's important for physiotherapists. It gives a lot of background on health coaching that we weren't able to dive too deeply on today. And then I think most importantly, it comes with a lot of tools and resources and ways that you can take action if you're interested in learning more about health coaching on lots of different levels. So that specific tool and technique piece, but also on that large framework or methodology piece. And so it's really exciting to see that coming out from, yeah, for our profession and from Physiotherapy Alberta. And it was a really nice collaborative project to work on as well. And we'll make sure to include the link to the toolkit in our show notes. So for listeners, you can actually access that by checking our show notes and it'll be on the Physiotherapy Alberta website. So you've spoken about an author, Michael Vallis. Michael Vallis. Yes. Yes. Can you spell the last name? Yeah, V-A-L-L-I-S. L-L-I-S. So that's Michael Vallis, everybody. He sounds like a real gem. So I'm gonna have to (laughs) gonna have to you're gonna have to check him out. Check out some of his writings. Awesome. Well, hey, Cindy, it's been great uh, jumping on this podcast recording and hearing about your journey with health coaching. And I think it's just been so many great pearls that you've shared today. I think it's been, oh, yeah. yeah, it's been awesome. And I really hope our listeners have enjoyed this episode as well. Yeah. Just want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to join the Ignite Physio podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Even with all the rabbit holes. Hey? <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, take care next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's uh, great having you on the show today. Uh, Now, if you've been enjoying the new show, I'd love for you to leave a review on uh, iTunes as this just helps uh, more people find out about the podcast and we'd love to to get your feedback. And if you want to check out the show notes uh, from the podcast, just go to ignitephysio.ca forward slash podcasts. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, just uh, shoot us an email at hello at ignitephysio.ca and we'll make sure to get back in touch with you and and see uh, what we can do there. So anyways, thanks for joining us on the show today. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.